The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. What's going on, America? Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc here on the Voice America Sports Network. I am your host of this show, Spencer Grossinger, and we have got a boatload of topics to talk to pertaining to the NFL here on Bruce the Sports Doc. And I think it will be appropriate to welcome in my co-host and my own father, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. What's going on, Bruce? Well, we're a little bit hoarse today. Um, we just came back from the... Uh the big drubbing, I would call it, the uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh, beating the Philadelphia Eagles, and I certainly had, as I do, uh, something to say about it, and uh, so I'm a little raspy, so I apologize for my voice, but I'm sure glad that everybody's tuning in to Bruce the Sports Doc here on VoiceAmerica.com. Perfect. And right before that game began, a prior seven hours to the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Philadelphia Eagles, we had the Battle of Ohio go on. And what was important about the Battle of Ohio was not that it was about the 8-3 and three Bengals taking on the 7-6 and six Cleveland Browns. It was that a young man from Tyler, Texas, was starting his first NFL game. And this young man is also known as Johnny Manziel, but here we call him Johnny Football. And for the Cleveland Browns, Johnny Manziel sat out the first 13 weeks of the season and yielded it over to the journeyman, Brian Hoyer, who was up and down. He started out the season well, and then in the past four games, he really declined, throwing one touchdown to six interceptions. And the thing about Hoyer was, at his best, he was an average quarterback who was a game manager. He handed the ball off to Terrence West and Isaiah Crowell, and he was a guy that at his best would not exactly light the world on fire. But you saw another side of Hoyer in that he was inconsistent, he would throw interceptions, he would try to force the ball to Josh Gordon, so that did prompt the move to change to Johnny Manziel. And Bruce, looking at this football game, there's a lot of material to talk about pertaining to the Browns this day, but really, Johnny Manziel, this day couldn't have gone any worse. I mean any worse. Well, I certainly agree with that. And Browns coach Mike Patine also agreed. Quote, didn't play well. Looked like a rookie. Played like a rookie. We didn't play well around him. But he made some obvious mistakes that typically a veteran quarterback won't make. So this clearly Cincinnati 
was ready. Cincinnati threw the gauntlet down. And in fact, there was a bit of a, uh, a, a bit of a comment by Marvin Lewis. And again, it was made on a local radio station. Nothing like a, a big terrestrial internet-based station like ours. Of course not. It's just a local station. Right. It just shows you whenever you go on the air, people are going to hear about it. And if, if you say something controversial enough, and if you're important enough, like Marvin Lewis, they're going to report it. When he called Manziel a midget, and this certainly required uh, a lot of damage control and apologies by Marvin Lewis, but Cincinnati backed up the talk. 20, 20 to nothing halftime lead. Essentially, Johnny Manziel completed four passes in the first half for 22 yards. His quarterback rating in the first half was 12, kind of hard to do, with two interceptions. And the worst part about it was there were two balls that could have been interceptions. So there were actually four potential interceptions in the first half. The way that those interceptions were thrown, the manner, too, was very concerning because the play before the half, Manziel had the ball at the 30-yard line, and he scrambled out right. It was actually a third and two. He had Josh Gordon wide open, his first read, and he could have just stood in the pocket and made a very conventional throw for a first down to keep the chains moving. But instead, Manziel scrambled out, trying to be a hero, which was a common theme on this day. He was trying to be a hero. He moved out, rolled to his right. And then ever since Pee Wee football, the first rule of playing quarterback is don't be late throwing the ball across the middle of the field, scrambling right. And that's exactly what Manziel did on that interception. He tossed the ball 30 yards, lofted it up into the end zone, and Adam Pacman Jones was able to pick off the football. So Johnny Manziel was late with his passes. He was dancing too much. He was trying to be the guy he was at Texas A&M. And a lot of it is, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with Johnny Manziel. People expect to see him running around and making unbelievable, ridiculous plays. But really, in his first NFL start, if he had more of a Ryan Tannehillish approach to the game, or more of a Derek Anderson approach, where he would drop back, just deliver the ball on time and accurately, that's what Patina Petten was looking for, and that's what the Cleveland Browns desperately needed was just a guy to move the sticks and hold the football. But the Cleveland Browns defense did Johnny no favors. Jeremy Hill had 162 yards on the ground in two scores. He gashed them. He absolutely embarrassed the Cleveland Browns defense. And in the first quarter, when the whole stadium was all hyped out for Manziel, the Browns got the coin toss. And I disagree with what Patin did here. He elected to defer to the second half. When you have Johnny Manziel, you have all the electricity, you have, all the eyes are on Cleveland for this football game, all the buzz in the stadium, and you elect to defer to the other team. I mean, that to me definitely was a big crucial error that ended up biting him because Cincinnati stalled the clock, took a seven-minute drive down, and then Manziel's coming in there seven minutes later. The whole first, half the first quarter is already over, and now Johnny's coming in already down seven? I agree with you. What I think is it sends a certain message. It sends a message that you don't have confidence in your quarterback. And the fact, the, the air really was let out of the ball. You see that Cleveland, you know, this was a team loss. Cleveland was not prepared. 
They, they, they all three phases of the game they played poorly. So it's not all on Mantell, but obviously the quarterback always gets more of the blame and, and more of the accolades when they win. And this was a case where there was so much hype in college that he couldn't have lived up to that. But it was just an altogether bad performance. But when you look at this week, Aaron Rodgers had an epically bad performance. But, you know, obviously you put that in context with his whole body of work. By next week, nobody's going to be thinking of Aaron Manziel. I mean, uh, Aaron Rodgers, sorry about the Freudian slip, because he's already established himself. But with Manziel, certainly by deferring in retrospect, that was a bad move. What really worries me about Manziel is that he's a guy that in college relied on his likes to make plays, and he, the ridiculousness of Manziel's play was actually the norm for Johnny. And in the NFL, he's going to have to definitely constrain those highlight reel type plays. He can't try to be a hero in every play. There's going to be third downs where he's just going to have to hit a second read on a slant route and just hang in the pocket and do conventional quarterbacking. That's what Russell Wilson does. He's also a guy that can use his legs, but use it in moderation. You don't have to be a hero. And that's what I saw from Johnny, and that's worrisome. If he can't play conventional quarterback, there's no place for Manziel in this league. But there is always a place for Manziel in commentary and in the media. And that's why it's so fantastic to see Johnny play. Because even when he fails, like he did yesterday, he was still a guy that put a lot of material out for the analyst to go over. And his style of play, he's so entertaining when he drops back 30 yards. It's like you're it's like you're watching a video game sometimes with Johnny Manziel when he goes back 30 yards cuz you don't see any other quarterback in the league do it and then he'll just lob the ball up. At, <coughs> at Texas A&M, he had Michael Evans to go get the ball for him. So, for Manziel, he just has to let the game come to him, make sh- short and concise passes, and move the rock. And the thing also in the first quarter I want to talk about is that when Johnny Manziel first came onto the field, they called two straight running plays, and then they set up a third and three. And Manziel, they called a play where he only had two receivers that were eligible to catch the football, and Manziel scrambled. He couldn't get a first down, so suddenly they went three and out on the first possession, and Cincinnati again had another long drive resulting in a field goal. They completely put their footprints all over this football game. Cleveland's defense couldn't get off the field, and it's just really sad because the week prior, Cleveland's defense was absolutely awesome versus Indianapolis, and Brian Hoyer had every opportunity every opportunity to win that football game. And here, Johnny Manziel just received no help from the defensive unit. They couldn't get off the field. And that's very demoralizing for a rookie quarterback. And he tried to do everything in this game, but it it just was a desperate attempt at a win. And it shows you, you need 22 guys on the same page to win football games. It's not like basketball. Well, this makes me think back to uh, another rookie quarterback who had a very poor performance, not in his first game, but in his first year. His name was Troy Aikman, and he also played at home on Thanksgiving against the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Eagles shut out the Cowboys, and Aikman was sacked eight times. This is when Aikman came out of UCLA, and 
the, the idea of a rookie coming in and floundering and doing poorly is certainly more the rule than the exception. And somebody like Andrew Luck, extremely mature, who steps right in and plays and, and does well from the beginning, is certainly the exception. And it, that's one reason Aaron Rodgers played the role of understudy. For uh, He waited. He had to wait his turn while Brett Favre played. Even Steve Young had to wait his turn, waited for years to play while Joe Montana was playing. So on one hand, we just don't know. Is Johnny Manziel going to be Doug Flutie or is he going to be Russell Wilson eventually? We just don't know. But one thing could be sure, we're sure going to be watching. The thing I also want to point out, though, is that the trend is going away from your original statement because you had Cam Newton succeed. Even you had Robert Griffin III, who has played really poor football the last two years, but in his first year with Kyle Shanahan, he succeeded. And look at where Mansell was selected. He's a first-rounder. There's expectations that come with the with where you were selected. And in this day and age where rookies are consistently getting the nod to start, look at Blake Portals. The trend is continuing to change. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately society. And in the NFL at the quarterbacking position, fans aren't as patient as they were in the 90s. Or NFL organizations can also be attributed to that claim as well. Well, that's true. We could we could agree that they're definitely starting more rookies, but we could also agree that there have been many play there have been many quarterbacks who've been ruined by uh, by by putting them in too early. Um, going back to uh, the Eagles, Bobby Hoying was a guy from Ohio State, and he just got in. He he, he lost his confidence and never got it back. Well, this is the end of the first segment. We've got some great stuff coming up. We're going to be going into Eagles, Cowboys, enemy territory. Stay there. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. 
or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the second segment of Bruce the Sports Doc here on the Voice America Sports Network. In the first segment, you can go back, look at the podcast page. We recapped everything you needed to know about Johnny Manziel and his debut in Cleveland. But on this night, Bruce the Sports Doc and I took an excursion vehicle down to Lincoln Financial Field to see the primetime battle for the NFC East bragging rights and really for the NFC East lead. And this battle was between the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. And it was a very interesting game filled with offensive fireworks from start to finish completely opposite of the first meeting, which took place on Thanksgiving in Arlington, Texas at Jerry Jones's palace. So Bruce, you went to this football game. Let's first talk about the first half of play and how the Dallas Cowboys were, were able to get off to such a start that they were. Well, beginning the game, there was a really odd play. I don't think I've seen one like this where the, the kickoff, essentially, um, they were kicking into the wind, and the ball landed exactly between the deep receiver and the blocking receiver. And what happened was it was almost like a knuckleball, and, and the wind killed it, and the ball just died. And the, the effect was it was the effect was an onside kick. Certainly Josh Huff, who's a rookie from Oregon, wasn't expecting this, and was almost frozen by the ball being there and it essentially was a muff where Dallas recovered and then they immediately drove in for a touchdown so before you even got settled in your seat Dallas was ahead 7 nothing. this thing just snowballed the Eagles had virtually no yards it's very difficult not to have any yards it's like we, we joke around we say it's so cold that there's no degrees You in an NFL game you won't see a quarter with no offensive yards. But sure enough, the Eagles pulled it off. Sanchez uh, was was poor. Shady McCoy was um, read for zero yards, I mean, including um, negative yardage. And the first quarter was just an unmitigated disaster. Mark Sanchez strikes me as a quarterback that thrives off of a running game. I don't think he is a standalone type of guy that that can deal with minimal rushing attack. There's a few guys in the league that can do it. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady are a few of the names of guys that can function without rushing attacks. And Mark Sanchez is a guy that needs LaShawn McCoy and needs the offensive line to get him yards and get first downs. And that's how the Eagles offense works. They need to get that first first down so that they can build this up-tempo machine that they have uh, in Philadelphia. And if if they're not getting that first down, it's usually going to be a very short drive that's even going to be shorter than most teams that go three and out because the Eagles have an up-tempo style of ball. So for LaShawn McCoy really to not have a, a big game in general, the second meeting between Dallas and the Eagles, that, that was a huge reason why Philadelphia lost this football game. In the game in Dallas earlier, LaShawn McCoy was the player of the game and he was the, really the reason that 
the Eagles were able to trounce Dallas because he had 132 yards on the ground, some big scores and big runs, and they really set the tone by running the football, the Philadelphia Eagles. And when you have Mark Sanchez in the game, it's a huge key for him to be able to play action and use that rushing game to his advantage. So in the first quarter, Dallas really stopped the run, but let's also talk about Tony Romo and Jason Witten. That first quarter, Tony Romo and Witten put on a display, and it was all allowed because the guys up front really won the line of scrimmage. Romo consistently had four to five seconds to deliver the football, and he was very precise and accurate. The first game, Romo, their their offensive game plan was was putrid to say the least. They didn't use Des Bryant. They didn't use Jason Witten. Dallas just handed the ball off. And the most exciting play that Dallas had in the first meeting was maybe a Cole Beasley 15-yard out. That was like exhilarating by Dallas standards the first game. But this time they actually said, hey, we have Des Bryant. We have one of the most athletic receivers in the history of the National Football League. Why don't we use this guy? And you know what? They actually threw the ball down the field, tested the Eagles cornerbacks, and you know what? Des Bryant caught three touchdowns, and that was really the difference in this game is that Dallas actually took shots down the field with Des Bryant, one of the best receivers in the game right now. So for Tony Romo, they actually struck fear in the Eagles secondary. And that was a huge component why they were able to win the football game was Romo was unleashed in this game. Well, the other side of the coin, certainly I agree. We got to give kudos to to Romo. The, um, The offensive game plan was much better. Jason Garrett certainly extended the field. But the Eagles' Achilles heel all season is their quarter, their cornerbacks, not quarterback. And that includes uh, Bradley Fletcher and Carrie Williams. Um, this is just unbelievable. Watching all the games, they literally don't turn around to look at the ball. So one of two things happens. Either they interfere with the receiver because they run into him. You can't run into a receiver when the ball's in the air. So by being unaware of where the ball is, they will either interfere or what happened three times with Bradley Fletcher covering Des Bryant, they will just, the ball will just settle in and they won't make a play on the ball because you can't make a play on something you can't see. Rarely, they'll be in perfect position and they will follow the eyes of the receiver and will just, have enough instincts to knock the ball away. But good wide receiver, I mean, good cornerback play, certainly evidenced, uh, as we saw in Seattle last week, Richard Sherman, unbelievable, essentially involves, you know, watching the ball and playing it and timing it just right. There was a lot of controversy about this game and that many fans, if not all, felt that Bradley Fletcher should be benched for the upcoming Saturday game against the Redskins. But Chip Kelly, one thing is, he's very steady, he's very predictable. So he came out in favor of his uh, his team and said, there will be no further moves in the starting lineup when asked about changes in the secondary. And when asked why he wouldn't consider the change, he said, I've seen Fletch compete. I think he gives everything he has. And the one thing I like about Fletch is he's going to compete out there. He made a bad turn once on the ball. The other ball was perfectly thrown. So one thing about Chip Kelly is 
He certainly backs up his team. He doesn't throw anybody under the bus. And while he will make an interesting quip in his news conference, more so than Andy Reid, who was bland and rather lifeless, he will not get show his hand at all and will not throw his team, as I said, under the bus and will not insult his players. What's the biggest cure, or what is the cure to poor secondary play? In this case, I believe it's upgrading the personnel. I've seen enough of Kerry Williams. He's below average. He's a streaky guy. You could tell in the beginning of the game. If Kerry Williams is into it, he makes a few good plays. He's engaged. He, he could be, right as you said, if he's engaged, he could be really good. But there's some games, he starts off poorly and he's disengaged, streaky. Bradley Fletcher, I, I just does, I don't think he has the makeup, the speed, or the reflexes, or the instincts um, to, to, be a, to be an NFL-caliber cornerback. I think they have to upgrade both, both of those cornerback positions, as well as the safety with Nate Allen, who has been poor. Last year, maybe took a baby step, it regressed badly. So essentially, three out of the four defensive back positions, the exception being Malcolm Jenkins, a very good pickup from New Orleans, a guy who I had very low expectations for, who's actually played quite well and been very physical. He has intercepted a lot of balls. Otherwise, when three quarters of your defensive backfield is getting completely annihilated, you, you're not going to win any Super Bowls. You're not a championship team. I see that as their big big hole that they need to upgrade in the offseason. Right. But you're a 9-4 team that's prepared to possibly get into the playoffs and try to win a football game in the playoffs. How do you get to 9-4? and four? How do you dominate Dallas? How do you hold Andrew Luck to 20 points if your secondary play is that poor? And you look at the San Francisco game and the Arizona games, those games were close games that the Eagles could have won. And Seattle, they had a lot of trouble putting up 24 points. Russell Wilson was running for his life, and you know why? There's a couple of guys known as Connor Barwin, Vinnie Curry and Trent Cole. This defensive line has been awesome. One of the top five defensive lines in all the NFL. The cure the pure uh, to a poor secondary or average secondary play is putting pressure on the opposing quarterback. You saw Aaron Rodgers look abysmal yesterday, and that's because Mario Williams was pretty much in Aaron Rodgers' face all day long. The New York Giants won a Super Bowl against the most powerful offense of all time, Tom Brady and the 18-0 Patriots, because Michael Strahan and Justin Tuck were relentless characters. So for the Philadelphia Eagles, they're successful because they have defensive line play that's awesome. And yesterday, Dallas's offensive line protected Romo, and that's why he was able to throw up those lofting, beautiful passes where in the first meeting, Romo was it was on the ground, on the turf. He was now standing up, sitting pretty in the pocket, and he was able to convert and see his guys downfield. I think it all starts from the front line, and if the Eagles are going to be successful this season, they're going to need better play out of that front line so that that secondary doesn't get exposed because I think Eagles fans this year are not quite giving up on the year. They don't want to go in the draft mode as you maybe proposed earlier in the segment for those positions. I do get what you're saying. 
with those positions. They definitely need upgrades, but you have to deal the hand you were dealt for this 2014 season and truck on and look at ways to put pressure on Robert Griffin III the way the Giants were able to do last week. Well, certainly well posed with respect to the retort about cornerbacks. It looks like this segment has come and gone. We'll be back in three. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc here on the Voice America Sports Network. It's all NFL football all the time right here on this network. Fantasy football seasons are coming to a close. School is coming to a close. It's a wonderful Christmas, happy holiday time of year here in December. We want to wish our producers in Phoenix, Arizona, Ray Ellis, and our president, Jeffrey Spinard, a happy Happy holiday season, and we thank them for giving us this platform here on the Voice America Sports Network to voice our opinions. So, Bruce, I think it's time that we take this train, this Bruce the Sports Doc train, around the league here in our third segment. And let's start off in the South, the cozy confines of the Georgia Dome where we had the Atlanta Falcons taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ironically, this NFC South is so poor right now that a team that is 7-9 could be hosting a playoff game. Isn't that unbelievable? So we here we have the Steelers that are in the complete opposite predicament as the Atlanta Falcons because they're, they're a team that is 
a 7-3 and three football team, if I'm correct, and they are just scratching, clawing, trying to get into the playoffs with a great record because the AFC North that they compete in with the Bengals and the Ravens is so competitive. So you have two teams vying for playoff spots that both can host playoff games, but the Steelers are more deserving. And in this game, Pittsburgh um, was able to get out to a 27-13 lead. Big Ben was so efficient in this football game. He threw for 360 yards. And he has really had some unbelievable flashes this year of brilliance. You know, dating back to 2004, Roethlisberger has two rings, but you're really seeing him evolve with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell in this attack. And this Pittsburgh offense has really looked crisp and Ben's really putting up numbers, kind of Matt Stafford, Drew Brees type numbers that you're not accustomed to seeing from Pittsburgh quarterbacks, and especially with Ben Roethlisberger, a guy who's known as being but not a stats maker and here he's really taken this Pittsburgh offense to a new level and has had some unbelievable games for Atlanta they're a team that has talent Julio Jones sat out yesterday and this is a team that if they hosted a playoff game maybe versus Arizona a team that doesn't have its starter Carson Palmer in they could possibly win a football game versus them in fact they did it two weeks ago because they have Julio Jones Roddy White Steven Jackson they have offensive talent their defense is obviously lacking in the secondary and they and they really they miss some opportunities earlier in the season to get wins uh, versus Detroit, they lost. Uh, versus Cleveland, they blew a game at the end. So they, they really could have taken control of this division, and they have not done so. So the the NFC South is still quite a mystery. And for fans that believe that the wild cards should host a game instead of a division champion that has a poor record... Uh, this is really the year, and the NFC South is the example that they can use to draw on that argument. I certainly agree. Imagine Atlanta has five wins, and if they win their last two games, they're going to win their division and host a playoff game. So that's a strong argument. Certainly there was the year the Seahawks, I believe, were 7-9. and nine, Yes. And they, and, they host, and they won their division, and... So there's could have always be that argument. Should a division winner be able to host a game or should it be purely based on records? And certainly um, that, that debate will continue. Absolutely. You look at a division right now that has been owned by Indianapolis in the AFC South, and they were able to beat a Houston team that has just not had to play a quarterback. You know, you look at J.J. Watt, Arian Foster, your defensive line, your running back is all taken care of. You have DeAndre Hopkins, who's very talented. You have Bill O'Brien, who is successful coordinator for New England and for Penn State, and they just haven't had the quarterback play. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a journeyman in this league. He's six foot two. He doesn't look six foot two on the football field. He's a guy who's very likable, Ivy Leaguer from Harvard. Um, but I don't really think he's the guy to take Houston to the next level. And for Indianapolis, they've hit the quarterback lottery. They went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. The AFC South is filled with mediocre teams and franchises that really haven't gotten out of the cellar of the NFL in quite a long time. You have Jacksonville, you had the Chad Henney days of Jacksonville, 
And then you have the Tennessee Titans. You they drafted Jake Locker, and ever since Steve, ever since Steve McNair and Jeff Fisher and Eddie George and that whole campaign left Tennessee and left Nashville, they have been a franchise that has really been struggling to be prominent. So for Indianapolis, you have two expansion teams. You have the Jaguars and the Houston Texans that have not been consistent. And then you've had Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck as your quarterbacks in Indianapolis. So they have pretty much owned the AFC South for quite a long time. Speaking of teams that have owned divisions, the New England Patriots with Brady and Belichick, it seems like they've been winning the NFC. It seems like they've been winning the AFC East for about 25 years. Looking at Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and just this this dynasty of wins in the AFC South. And that's also because of the inconsistency of Miami, Buffalo, and of course, the the third team in the in the AFC East is you have you have Buffalo, the Jets and the Dolphins, right? And you had New England beating Miami 31 to 13, very predictable outcome in Foxborough. But Bruce, let's talk about this game that me and you watched very closely for playoff implications in both conferences. You had a team, the 7 and 6 Buffalo Bills, that are having a pretty nice year with Kyle Orton leading their team. He is not the reason that they're seven and six. It's because of that defense. It's because of Fred Jackson. But they were hosting the red hot Green Bay Packers, the hottest team in the league, Jordy Nelson and Aaron Rodgers heading in the Buffalo. And just talk about this football game. Because this was pretty astonishing. I view this as one of the the, the most stunning upsets of the whole season in that Buffalo just completely stomied Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers had his worst game in memory. Zero touchdown passes, two interceptions. And the hero was a guy who came out of nowhere that even diehard Bills fans never heard of. His name is Bakari Rambo. So going back to the Rambo movies, Sylvester Stallone played Rambo, who was an action figure. This is a little guy, and he just came out of nowhere to intercept Rodgers on consecutive drives in the second half. And also veteran Mario Williams was a complete beast, disrupting Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers just didn't, he looked uncharacteristically flustered. One of the telling points we talk about karma was a play, which was a turning point. Aaron Rodgers was in his own end zone, threw about a 35-yard pass to a streaky Jordy Nelson who had nothing but real estate in front of him, perfectly right on his hands. And Jordy Nelson catches anything. He's like a Venus flytrap. You know, anything that's anywhere near him. But this is right in stride, and it was just, it it really portended, and to use the word foreshadowed, the rest of the game. And Buffalo just had a feeling that something special was going to happen. 
Absolutely. That play was very telling. A big missed opportunity by the Green Bay Packers. And looking at Buffalo, they are just so unbelievable at home. Their defensive line, the energy that they get off of that home crowd. There's not many teams that could come into Buffalo and really put up great performances there. They're kind of like St. Louis in the respect that St. Louis beat Seattle and they crushed Denver. And because of their defensive line, the pressure that they can put on quarterback, it, it again can neutralize and take over the game. As I mentioned before, so Buffalo, unfortunately, they're a quarterback and an offensive system away from really being a contender because EJ Manuel and Kyle Orton, I don't think you can go deep in the playoffs with either of those guys. And the way that the offensive system is structured, they really struggle in the red zone. And Dan Carpenter has really gotten a heavy workload as their field goal kicker. Buffalo just can't put away games when their defense is playing lights out. And they always they made it entertaining till the end. Rodgers down six, and Mario Williams stripped Aaron Rodgers. And that was the end of the game as it resulted in a safety. Well, it looks like this first segment has really flown by recapping the NFL. And we got a lot to talk about in the fourth segment. So please stay with us here on Bruce Sports Talk. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Today's segment will deal with the issue of concussion. Our idea and understanding of concussions have changed so much over the last 10 years. Even as much as 10 years ago, a young athlete with a low-grade concussion would have been allowed to return back to the field. They often misnamed this as a dinger or getting your bell rung. As a result, many patients slash athletes have experienced very difficult sequela 
That is protracted headaches, thinking problems, and very important psychiatric side effects. So it's very important for us to look at the definition of concussion and look at the modern management of concussion. The clear definition varies among researchers, but most agree that it's a traumatic brain injury and it does not involve rupture of blood vessels. The the downside of that is that traditional imaging, such as CAT scans and MRIs of the brain, will usually not show anything. And doctors may be falsely reassured to think there's no problem with the athlete. However, this injury is a cellular event. It's an injury to the neurons, which are the cells in the brain. Back when I was in training in the late 80s, we used to require a loss of consciousness, that is somebody being fully knocked out in order to diagnose a concussion. That's changed. A lot of the research shows that less than 10% of concussions, less than 1 or 10 of real concussions involve a loss of consciousness. And also, as I said, there's typically no abnormality on standard structural imaging studies, such as CAT scans or MRIs of the brain. Okay, now, what causes a concussion? What are the forces? What's the physics behind a concussion? Well, typically, it involves an acceleration. That's something that's moving forward and something that recoils backwards, which is called a deceleration. Another important part of concussions is not only a force in a line directed at the head or the brain, but also the head rotating, spinning. Why do boxers get knocked out when their head spins? It's because those rotational forces produce great force to the brain. Further, if we look at sports concussions, we'll see that some of the worst, most protracted symptoms occur in people who have had rotational injury. Great example of that is the best hockey player in the world, Sidney Crosby. If you look at a slow-motion video of his hit, you'll see his head forcefully rotating. So his brain is not only subject to some linear forces, that is, the hit straight forward, but also a rotary action. So these rotary forces cause tremendous injury to the brain. So I told you that a concussion happens at the cellular level, that is, in the neuron. So what happens? So you have a brain cell, it gets hit, it gets injured. So the membrane, which holds everything inside the cell, gets disrupted. So potassium, which is a very important part of the inner portion of the cell, tends to leak out of the cell, and this causes a triggered release of something called glutamate or glutamic acid. This is an excitatory amino acid. So this becomes what we call a positive feedback cycle. That means bad things are happening. So you got potassium leaking out. All of a sudden, glutamate, you know, basically is recruited in the area. That's a very irritating, uh, injurious type of chemical. And then there's something called a pump. So what happens is the neuron tries to help itself. So the pump starts increasing activity. The only problem is you use, you use up all your energy. So what are, what's the energy? This is ATP. Going back to uh, nightmarish chemistry, ATP is adenosine triphosphate. So ATP is the energy we have, and also sugar gets utilized. 
So all this happens, and what builds up? Something called lactic acid. Lactic acid's a bad guy. So let's go over this again. It's a little complicated. Injury to the neuron. The membrane, the outer portion, gets disrupted. Calcium leaks out. Glutamate gets recruited. Then more potassium, more glutamate. Then the neuron says, I got a problem here. I got to start pumping out this, uh, this bad stuff. So what happens? The brain then utilizes energy in a way, overuses its storehouse of ATP and glucose. And lactic acid, a bad guy, develops. So I hope you're with me so far. So when lactic acid develops, what happens is the blood flow to that area of the brain decreases. So if you guys remember back in the 80s with Jimmy Carter, some of you aren't as old as me, hopefully, there was something called an energy crisis. You know what happened? There wasn't a lot of gasoline, and we called that an energy crisis. Well, guess what? When you lose your ATP, you lose your glucose, and all you've got is a waste product called lactic acid, and your blood flow to the brain diminishes, this is an energy crisis. Another bad guy, calcium is great when it comes to bone, but it's not something you want to have around your neurons. So basically, calcium also accumulates in the cells. So you've got potassium leaking out of the cells. You've got calcium surging in through the cells. We're losing blood flow. We're losing energy. And all of this culminates in actual cell death. That is, the neurons die. However, they are such that a small amount of neurons die to the extent that it's less than what can be resolved on an MRI or CAT scan. There's also a diminished metabolic state. That is, the brain just doesn't work well. And this happens to four weeks after injury. So we wonder, why do people who have concussions have difficulty with brain function? It's because this is going on. Those cells are just not working. So what do you have? You have people with slowness, fogginess, difficulty speaking, difficulty seeing, difficulty processing visual information. This this is due to the death of certain neurons. It's also due to the fact that certain brain cells are stunned. They may eventually recover. And so in the first four weeks, typically, you'll see the worst effects of a concussion. Typically, you will not see a delayed worsening of brain function. That's some small good news here. When you have a brain injury, it's not like you get you get bad, then you start. It's not like you are maximally injured in the first four weeks. You're getting better, and then a year later, you have a setback. That doesn't happen. So when you see that as a neurologist, you have to think it's something else going on. Sometimes it might be a psychological part of it. That is, patients often get very frustrated, very depressed. They're sometimes, for instance, a minor league hockey player I just saw. He's 29 years old. He lost his whole career. So when somebody is unable to work, unable to make money, they're isolated, they're staying at home, plus there's a brain injury, particularly to the temporal lobes, which is a part of the side of the brain, what happens is people get depressed. So you can't see a delayed worsening relating to a psychiatric problem, but with respect to brain function, if you as a doctor or a trader see somebody who has a stepwise decline, you should think about something else going on. Girls are reported to have a higher rate of concussion than boys in similar sports. There's no 
scientific reason that has been delineated yet. But some believe that female athletes have neck muscles that are not quite as well developed. And therefore, that acceleration and deceleration, that motion is more because the neck is less capable of resisting the force. Also, it might be due to, it might be due to reporting. That is, male athletes may be less likely to report their concussions and symptoms. So it may be that there are more male concussions than is recognized. Okay, so that therefore, if the if the girls are more likely to report the symptoms and the concussions, it may be that the research is skewed, so that in fact, many of the male concussions are simply underreported. Let's go over the signs of concussion. Physical signs. Headache, often mimicking a migraine. Nausea, vomiting, difficulty with balance. Tiredness. Light and sound are very annoying to people with concussions. Also, cognitive. That means thinking, how the braids are working. They might repeat the same question over and over. They might be just slow about their reactions. Trouble remembering, trouble concentrating, feeling foggy, emotional issues, very irritable, very sad, very nervous. And a very big symptom is sleep disorders, that is insomnia. Again, that's magnified by anxiety and depression. So when I treat patients, one of the first things I try to do is, number one, if they have a headache, try to give them some analgesics that will help them with respect to their pain. Another thing is to help them restore their sleep hygiene. There's certain sleeping pills we use, something called Ambien. Zoldepem is the generic. There's a drug called Lunesta. And there are certain drugs that we used to use to induce sleep, which are actually not very good for patients with concussions. The Valium family, there's a big name called Benzodiazepines. That's a big name. We won't ask you to repeat that one. But that is drugs like Dalmain and Restoril that were used many years ago to induce sleep actually have a very bad side effect. You know what that is? Memory loss, accumulation of metabolites, that is breakdown products, which further will increase the the lack of performance or therefore decrease the performance of the brain. So I usually use Ambien or Lunesta. I try to stay away from Valium, Xanax, Restoril, all those medicines, because they tend to suppress and inhibit brain function. So we're really moving along with our understanding of concussion. We're going to take a three-minute break, and we're going to get back to how do we treat concussions. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 
visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 